they come to me because there's a gap between where they are and where they want to be. And so we work on that. But even in that, I hold them as the expert in their own lives. You are listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome back. Like many other new financial planners, you may find yourself frustrated when the clients you want to serve don't fit the firm that you work for. Or you may be completely confident in the guidance that you're giving to clients, but feel frustrated and lost time and again when they fail to follow your advice. If either of these are you, we hope today's conversation with Sandra Davis will absolutely move you. Sandra's take on financial coaching will inspire everyone to serve existing clients better, extend yourself to be able to serve everyone, and grow your career and skill set like you've always dreamed about. If you've wanted to have a deeper impact in your clients' financial lives, then stick around. Sandra Davis believes that financial coaching may be the solution that you're looking for. Straight ahead. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent RAAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Thanks for joining us today, Sandra. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Okay, so I am so excited to have you on this podcast, uh, and I know oh, it's going to be so good. I want to talk about financial coaching. So for the listeners, what is financial coaching? Financial coaching is a way of being with clients that supports them understanding what's most important to them, how they live with their money, and how to align their financial choices with what matters most. So uh, rather than be in the seat of their expert, I am actually their partner in excavating and designing a plan that is founded in their behavior choices. Um, and often uh, the role, you know, in my world is that I, at any point in time of that engagement, we're doing what's called a dance, right? So, so that, that client has an opportunity to explore more deeply. We call that discovery, not discovery in the sense that, that you would as a financial planner, but the discovery is about the client's reflection. Not so much what they tell me about, like this isn't information gathering, it's not the same. It Discovery is a self-discovery about what really matters to you. Because as you know, I'm sure, is it's very seldom about the money. Um, you know, people, uh, you know, my colleague, a, a very close colleague says, people don't have financial goals. They have life goals with financial implications. And I really believe that to be true. And, and so one of the things that we focus on as a financial coach is how do you align what you care about and what the money does for you with the plan and then your behavior? And so, so one of the reasons that financial coaching is a thing is that often, you know, you can create this amazing financial plan, all of the what fors, whys, all of the right stuff to do and have a client that doesn't follow it. And, and often that's because it is not their plan. And so as a coach, I am not interested in being right or having the right plan for a client. I'm interested in that client reconciling what they know and what they want with what they do. And so when you think about the way of coaching, it is how am I going to be with that person as they go through this very iterative process, right? It's very seldom, if ever, linear. How am I going to be with them as they claim their power around their financial choices and then align their behavior with that power? One thing that stood out to me is it's not about being right as a financial planner. And and you know, that's so counter to the training that we've got because you know we get tested on finding the best solution. But you're really saying that maybe it's not about the best solution. It's about the client discovering what's best for them? So I'd say it's both because I have to know what I'm talking about, right? This is one of the reasons that I've 
made such an impact on financial coaching as a profession is because I'm actually one of the first people, and actually maybe even the first, uh, to say that a financial coach must be a financial expert. When you come from the life coaching field, which many people do, uh, life coaching would say that you do not have to be an expert in the topic. You coach the person, not the topic. As a financial coach, I believe that that's just flat out wrong. As a financial coach, you must coach the person and you must know the topic. So it's not that I don't have to have uh, the highest quality skill set, the highest knowledge level for my my financial work. I have to know that because if not, I can actually coach someone into something that's financially disastrous for them. And so I have to know it's what am I going to lead with? Am I going to lead with my knowledge or am I going to lead with my coaching skills? And so as a coach, I lead with the coaching skills and I apply my knowledge as appropriate based on where that client is. Um, One of the challenges about uh, comprehensive planning, which I believe is absolutely necessary, is that we blurt out all of these things that clients should take action on. And often they get stuck because it's just too much. And it's not that one thing is any more important than the other, but what coaching allows us to do is be in that relationship with the client to really figure out what is going to be a a metaphor that uh, 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 Andrea White uses, the gas in the tank. What is going to be the gas in the tank that keeps that client moving even when they have competing financial goals, when they have financial struggles or or things come up that they just don't know how to cope with and many people just give up and don't execute their plan. But as the coach, I want to be able to bring the very best in my knowledge to bear in what moves them. How does that client stay inspired? How do they set a target for themselves and then carve out that pathway, certainly with my expertise, but I have information they know themselves. So how do I bring my information to bear with what they know about themselves to keep them moving in the direction that's going to help them get where they want to go? Can you do financial planning outside of financial coaching? Like, Does financial coaching have to be an element of good financial planning? So, you know, this this is a rub because there are many financial planners who just want to crunch the numbers. I mean, you know, they just, you know, they want to get the plan right. They want to get the numbers right. And, you know, uh, I, I believe that there's value in that. The challenge is if you've got the numbers right and your Monte Carlo simulations are right on and the client doesn't execute the plan, what have you done? And so the coaching is an opportunity for you to align what you know with what they do. And so I I don't think that everyone is going to be a coach, nor do I think that that's necessary. Many financial planners that I train, uh, either in my class at Golden Gate or in the uh, financial fitness coach certification, those planners are using the skills to support a higher level of discovery, uh, a deeper level of discovery, uh, a deeper level of action planning that the clients can actually own. And notice I don't use the words buy in, uh, that the client (laughs) can own, um, that come from them. Um, and, And then in that implementation piece, right? How do they actually do what they know to do? Now, a lot of financial planners say, oh, well, if the clients do that, they won't need me anymore. I actually see the opposite. I believe that what happens is that you have such a trusted and deep relationship that you know them and you understand them so well, and you're listening to them in a way that no one else does, quite frankly, most of the time, not even their spouses, right? And 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 you, you have this engagement with them that they come to rely on you being able to help them see and reconcile their blind spots, not only in the information, but in their behavior, And so rather it being a shame-faced, oh, yeah, I know you told me to do this, that, and the other, but I just couldn't get to it, this happened or that happened, they come with, you know, I got home, I tried to do it, and I just couldn't get that done. And then the coach is saying, well, okay, so, you know, what's up with that? 
you know, so, so we are the accountability partner, um, not for shaming or blaming or judging, but for being there through the transitions and being there as you work through those parts of you that are ambivalent, right? It's like, you know, the example that I use in my classes is that I love being healthy. I love being strong. I know that I need to get up in the morning and I need to hit the pavement or get to the gym. And my bed is so comfortable. I got one of these really cool pillows. And so like, what do I do when that ambivalence is there? How do I choose? And so that's what a coach does, right? It helps you to figure out how do you navigate those times when you're not doing what you know to do. And so many financial planners uh, are using the skills um, along with their planning. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so learning those skills can certainly help with client communication. It can certainly help with client inspiration. Um, I Again, I don't use the word motivation because I don't believe you can motivate another person. I believe motivation comes from within. Um, I certainly inspire people um, and uh, their motivation, I can help them tap into it. And then that's my job to help them tap into it and then reflect back what I see. So if I'm working with a client that says, hey, yeah, so I'm going to track my spending. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing this, that, or the other. And they've decided what they're going to do. And I say, okay, so what is our accountability plan? You know, what support do you want from me? Um, well, I want you to, you know, check in with me once a month and let's take a look at where we are. And if they check in and they haven't done what they said they were going to do, then my job kicks in. Okay, so so talk to me. You know, what's what's up? What do you want to do about this? Is this really something that's important to you? If not, what's the alternative? And so we use techniques like motivational interviewing. We use, we certainly look at the trans theoretical model of change around, you know, pre-contemplation and contemplation and, and all the way through to action. Um, and we use those skills and bring those skills to bear for the client's benefit, not so that I can be right, not so that I can have the best plan but so that the client can honor their commitment to themselves to create the financial life that they want. There's a lot of talk about fiduciary and this idea of client first. And I feel like what you're saying, you know, our client at, at the center. Um, and I feel like what you're saying is taking that to a whole new level of how do we keep the client at the center of everything that we do? Yeah, I think that that's true. And, and here's the thing, Hannah, most people join this profession because they really want to do good work. They really want to help people live well with their money. They want people to uh, have access to the highest quality financial planning uh, that's appropriate for them, holding the fiduciary standard. And a lot of times helpers really think that we can change what someone else does. And you know, anybody that's ever raised a teenager is really clear that you really can't make anybody do anything that they don't want to do. And uh, so for me, where the rubber meets the road around the coaching conversation is, how do we get really, really clear about what you want? And then how do we get clear about recognizing the gap between where you are and where you want to be and building a plan that you are ready, willing, and able to execute and then be in your accountability support as you take those steps. Yeah. That's a lot more than just saying, here's your list of recommendations. Go implement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is, yeah, that's kind of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe I know more about you than the listeners do right now. Uh-oh. But one of the things that was, well, one of the things that was fascinating to me about your answer on financial coaching was you didn't put that to an income level. No. Oh, no. You had nothing in there about how much money you have to make. And so much of what financial planning is right now is about serving high net worth, high income individuals. And I know that's not true with the work that you're doing. <laughs> Tell me more about your work. On your bio, it has your work with community-based organizations that focus on asset building for the working poor. Right, right. So um, I am a career changer. I think you know that. Um, I spent 
30, I guess 25 years in the nonprofit sector prior to becoming a financial planner. And what that was about for me was I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time helping nonprofit agencies raise money. I was a grant writer, so a grant writer and development director for 25 years. And so um, I got to the point where I realized that it really didn't matter what we did, you know, that, that unless people took charge of their financial choices, irrespective of how little they had, nothing was going to change. It didn't matter if we helped them get a job, get a house, go to school, whatever, whatever we did, nothing was going to change. Uh, I was seeing, I was working with nonprofit agencies that we had this revolving door of clients coming, you know, the same clients coming back over and over again, most often for the very same circumstance that they had been with us before. And, and, and so, and to be quite frank, I knew nothing about money. Nothing. I did not know what a financial planner was. I cannot honestly say I had ever even heard the term. Um, And I um, was noticing that I knew nothing about money. I was making every bad financial decision possible. My family was making every financial decision bad financial decision possible. And it, you know, I just woke up and just realized that, you know what, everybody I know needs this. Everybody I know needs to understand how people who are wealthy acquire, build, and transfer their wealth. Everybody I know needs to know how to do that. And I was talking with my partner one day and he says, well, why don't you be a financial planner? I'm like, okay, you do realize it. I'm the person who took bonehead math because I was afraid to take the placement exam. (laughs) So, um, yeah, seriously, that's no joke. There's no joke. That's a whole nother story. Um, so I started reading about what a financial planner was and it's just so strange. I graduated from my undergrad at Golden Gate and I looked at Golden Gate and I, it's so funny how things happen. I had gotten an email from Golden Gate and I looked at their master's programs and there was a master's in financial planning. Um, and so I started looking into it. And I decided, okay, I'm going to take a run at it. And I did. And I was the 2006 financial planning student of the year. Um, And I was volunteering at an organization in San Francisco that did what you called individual development accounts. And, And at that time, they were very, very popular because it would help people who are working poor save for an asset. So rather than just kind of... Uh, you know, I tell people I'm not in the business of helping poor people be more comfortable being poor. This was about how do you build, how do you increase your resources to be able to change the trajectory of your family and even your community? And so we built the practicum class at Golden Gate University and um, with some persuasion and a really good lunch at a Japanese place in San Francisco, we were very fortunate to get Dave Yeski to, to be our first instructor at, at the practicum. Um, uh, back then. And, and so we had the class at Golden Gate. We were, I was volunteering at EARN. We were building this program. And the idea was to bring comprehensive financial planning to low-income people. And back then, no one was doing that, right? No one even felt it was necessary. Everybody felt that, oh, if poor people just managed to budget and stop buying television and Nike shoes, everything would be fine. And uh, I had the belief then, as I do now, that uh, unless people manage every dollar and every dime, particularly if you are poor, nothing will ever change. And so that's what I started doing. And um, I became very involved with the Financial Planning Association's pro bono committee, uh, built a pro bono boot camp, um, and really went all in on being very active with making financial planning full service, comprehensive financial planning accessible for people who traditionally would not receive those services. Um and so it, it was a very exciting time, a very challenging time. But I decided at that point to keep my focus on that population. Now, now of course, that meant I was working poor for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I absolutely have no regrets. 
You know, uh, the way that I did that is I had bought a home in 2000 and I took out a home equity line of credit, put myself through school. I had two years worth of income to survive on uh, before I was able to start making a living. And so that's how I did it. And, um, you know, yeah, I still have a mortgage and I still have a couple of student loans, but I am living the life that makes my heart beat fast. And I'm serving the people who need me the most. And, um, you know, there, there are now, you know, financial coaching programs all over the country. And, uh, I had a lot to do with that. And I am really proud of that work. And, and the piece of it that I'm most proud of is that I refuse to accept a standard that says you can be a financial coach without being an expert. And, and I believe that irrespective of how little you make, you deserve to have access to competent and ethical financial planning. And so, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've had mentors that, uh, you know, Dave Yeske, Casey God, Elisa, Elisa Bowie, uh, Holly Gillian Kindle has, Kindle has been like, you know, right by my side as I've, you know, gone through this journey. Um, and then I've gone to classes, you know, Ted and, and uh, Brad Klontz, uh, Rick Kaler, all of the work around the human side, you know, who we are. Uh, uh, and what we do. And so I just have made really, uh, a really strong commitment to make sure that low income, moderate income folks have access to that level of support. Um, you know, and so now you know, the CFPB, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau has a financial coaching program. That's, you know, 60, 60 coaches all around the country, uh, serving this exact population. And so I'm really, I'm really proud of that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of really experienced financial planners and brand new financial planners who are volunteering to do work with that population. And so it's necessary, you know, and, and one thing I, I do want to say before we go on to the next thing is that my very first client, uh, I served her with a sliding scale. She was really broke. I mean, really, really broke. She was the first person in her family to uh, go to college. She actually became a physician. And she had um, so much student loan debt. I mean, she was really, really in financial struggle. It literally took us a year, one full year, to get her budget. She kept having emergencies in Ann Taylor. And um, we, yeah, and, and it took us a really long time. And after about a five-year engagement of just annual quarterly check-ins, you know, quarterly for check-ins, but then annual goal setting. Now, you know, she's a homeowner in, uh, she's moved to another state. She's a homeowner doing the work that she loves. She has a child now. She's living the life she wanted, you know? And, and when we met, she literally was so upside down on student loan debt, um, you know, a car that wasn't reliable, living in a place that was not safe. And, you know, when those things happen, you know that you're, you're, you're kind of in this sweet spot where you can help people bridge a gap that they felt they were always going to be on the wrong side of. And so, you know, those kinds of things just keep me uh, inspired and motivated to keep doing what I'm doing, uh, which is how I ended up talking to you, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just, you know, we talk about financial planning being so powerful. You help guide her, though, to a place in her life that she may not have ever gotten yeah, to. Yeah. Well, thank you for noticing. That was a coaching moment you just had there, Hannah, because you were getting ready to say, <laughs> I changed her life. And you're right, I did not. She changed her life. Yep. And she changed her life because I saw her yep. for who she was. And I stayed with her through all of the bumps. I reflected back to her when she was not honoring her commitment to herself. And I held her accountable based on what she said she wanted from me. And now we might talk once every couple of years. She doesn't need me anymore. Now, when she needs to talk, but and what I did, because I'm not a CFP, uh, what I did was connected her with someone who helps her manage her assets now. She doesn't need the work she did with me anymore. Now she needs a CFP and that's what she has. And she's doing her life now, you know, in, in a different way. And now she's going to pass this knowledge down to her child. You know, she's, she's, she has a different way of being 
with her parents and her siblings and her cousins and, you know, all of the people who had this perpetual mindset of poverty before we met. And, and, and so those are the things that I strive for. Um, I am charged with, uh, I believe, making sure that people know that they get to design their journey with money. And then I'm with them as they do that. And how powerful of a career choice that is. I mean, that you are helping generations of families. Like it's not just like what you said, it's not just her. It's generations yeah. of families that will be different. Yeah. And that was what drew me to the profession. So, you know, I, you know, I choose to work mostly with low and moderate income clients, but I'll tell you, there are you know, just regular everyday folks that, you know, the Garrett Planning Network serves well, that that many financial planners don't uh, seek out those clients because they don't have assets to manage. But, you know, the, the, that's the majority of the people, <laughs> you know, that's the majority of the people in the world. And I'll tell you, when you look at all of the robo-advisors popping up and all the ways that, you know, people are starting to engage with financial planning now, there's a huge need. You know, there's a huge need for workplace financial planning. Yeah. Um, there's a huge need for how do you plan your way out of student loan debt? You know, um, all of those things are crucial. And, and you know, I will not mislead people. This I did not make big bucks uh, doing this. Uh, I had to be very thoughtful about the life that I wanted you know, and, and what I wanted that to look like. And I tell people all the time, I keep my needs small so that my wants can be outrageous. Hmm. And and that's how I do this. That's how I'm able to do this. Um, you know, but that's because I know what's important to me, you know, and, and it's important to me to live, live my work life in a way that's satisfying. Um, you know, and I'm sure I could work more and longer and harder and all of those things and make more money. But that's not what I want for my life at this stage. Now, if I were younger, if I had joined this profession at, you know, 20, in my 20s, maybe even 30s, I might feel differently. But I, you know, I joined this profession at 44. And so I had to look at what was my trajectory going to be. You know, I joined this profession. I changed careers at 44 because I knew I was not going to have enough to retire. And I had to find something that I loved that I could do well into my 70s because I knew I would have to work that long. And this this has been just that for me. I am, you know, closer to 60 than not. <laughs> <laughs> right? And And I'm really, really clear that I can do this as long as my brain holds up. And I really love what I do. You know, every single day, I love what I do. Um, and it makes a huge difference, you know, whether I'm standing in front of a room of, you know, 100 people who are doing their own planning, because I do some client-facing workshops, or whether I'm doing train the trainers, where I'm training other people of how to use coaching skills for their clients. Um, you know, so it just doesn't matter I, which one of those I'm doing. Uh, it's a very satisfying uh, way of being for me as a professional. How do we serve the working poor? How do we serve demographics that mm -hmm. that traditionally financial planning has not served well? Is that through that nonprofit space? Or what is, for lack of a better way of asking this, what's the business model around that How, or that you found? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What works? Yeah. So I can say what works for me, and then I can say what I think works in general. Um, uh, you know, I, I would hear the chatter about, you know, the Garrett model doesn't work and, uh, you know, you can't make a living that way. I don't think that that's true. Um, I think that what happened uh, happens a lot is that people don't self-manage, and that's another core coaching skill, right? So if I know that I'm only hired to do X, Y, Z, and I do A, B, C, D, and X, Y, Z, I know I've created the problem. Mm. And so for me, the business model is, number one, to be very, very clear about what I'm going to offer you and price it fairly. Now, I have a sliding scale. I started out with one, and I still have one today. Um, people who make less pay less, and they understand that as they make more and as they are in a better financial situation, they will pay more. And that client I described for you, when we started out, she was paying me 25 bucks an hour. 
by the time we were finished, she was paying 250 bucks an hour. Mm. And so I believe that that is absolutely manageable. Now, what that means is that I have to have enough clients at that high end of the scale to know how many I can do at the low end of the scale. And I keep that clear, right? I'm very clear with myself about that. What can I afford to do? And then there's also, you know, uh, you know, one of our planning colleagues said to me, you know, do, you know, work doing high net worth clients and do pro bono for the clients who are working poor that you want to do or slide and scale that way. That's certainly an option. Um, there's also, uh, and this is one of the things that I just love about our work. I do believe that while we are not magicians, financial planners are magical. Financial planning is magical. We can change the trajectory of how people view money. And I just don't believe that uh, there is anything more powerful uh, in, in the financial space than being able to help people see themselves in a way that they never did before around how they live with their financial choices. And so we can do small groups. Like I do a group, there's a, a group of black women that I work with in um, uh, the Bay Area. I'm in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area in the East Bay. And the reason that I, I hone in on, on the ethnicity of the group is I'm a black woman. And it's really important to me to stay connected to black women, in particular, having access to high quality support right? That, that's fiduciary, that is accountable, uh, and that is accessible for them. So there's a group of 10 women and they get together and they check in quarterly and I provide the knowledge base and they provide the accountability support. And so there are all kinds of ways that we can do this. Now, I don't charge them because that's part of my give back, but I know a lot of people that do. And you can charge them a sliding scale. You can charge them a flat rate. Um, there are all kinds of ways to do this. The, the, the ways are only as limited as our imaginations are. Uh, the reason that I do this specifically in the black community is that the black community has traditionally been left out of this conversation, the wealth building conversation. And so when you look at closing the racial wealth gap and those kinds of things, that's a priority for me. And so I make sure that I do that work in my community, which keeps me inspired even when it's tough uh, or even when people fall off and they do, you know. Um, so so there are, are ways that we can do this for the working poor. Um, but I would say that accountability and a commitment to excellence doesn't change based on who you're working with. You know, I don't, I don't care whether it's someone who has a lot of money or someone who has no money. The way I treat them and the way I work with them is the same. Can you talk more about that? Because I, I, I know in our conversation before we started hitting record, you had such wisdom on that point of how do we treat the person in front of us, the client? Yeah, yeah. So the client is the expert in their own life. And I treat them as such. I have information but I don't know them. They know themselves. And so when I'm spending time with them, when we're in our discovery conversations and we are in our uh, visualizations or we're, we're, we're looking at or exploring what uh, they want for themselves, I honor them and hold them as the expert in their own lives. Um, and I um, recognize that my role is to be their best advocate for what they say they want, even if that is sometimes advocating with them to stand up for themselves in what they want. But they are the leaders. They decide, they, they decide the topic. They decide the pace. Um, and there's no judgment. It's completely a no-shame zone with me. Um, and I hear them. And accept them exactly where they are. And the very first time I heard this, I know it's in the motivational interviewing book, but the very first time I heard this was with Ed Jacobson, which really resonated with me. He said, to, he said, to, yes, he said to me, right, because it's as though he was, you know, I was the only one in the room, in this big old room of people. He said, if you cannot hold your clients in perfect positive regard, you have not earned the right to work with them. 
And when he said that, that touched me so deeply because I believe that that's where we miss out so much. And we talk about clients being non-compliant and all, all kinds of unflattering and I would even say degrading ways when they don't do what they should do. And I think that we have to think about how do we hold them with empathy? I mean, you know, if we're a financial expert and we're good with money, that's terrific. But what if there's an area in your life that you're not as good as doing what you know you should do? Do you want someone to talk to you in a way that is demeaning or uh, uh, undermining? Um, and, and so I just think it's so important that we are very thoughtful of, of holding them in perfect positive regard. Um, and if we can't, make a referral. Uh, because it's just not fair. You know, it's not fair to do that. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't have an accountability, <laughs> you know. That's what they come to me for. They come to me because there's a gap between where they are and where they want to be. And so we work on that. But even in that, um, I hold them as the expert in their own lives. Um, and I support them in honoring, standing up for that part of themselves, that part of their children, their grandchildren, that they want to show up for in how they live with their resources. And uh, I listen, you know, I do a lot of listening. Um, I was, uh, you know, telling people that, you know, when you're coaching, you are actually listening 80% of the time and talking 20% of the time. I wonder how many financial planners would be able to meet that standard. <laughs> you know, and again, you know, like you said, it's how we're trained, you know. Uh, we believe that people come to us for answers. Um, I believe people come to us to ask them the questions that they don't know the answers to so that they can figure out the answers with our help. Um so that's how I view that. So when I'm thinking about how I work with a client, um, I'm their partner in the process. They are not accountable to me. They are accountable to themselves with me as their witness. Um, and they get to decide, you know, they get to decide. In your meetings with the working poor, what are the issues that you're addressing? Like, what are, what are the common issues? Uh, you know, honestly, the most difficult is um, remembering what they really want. You know, um, when you have felt thwarted in uh, uh, achieving what you want, for whatever reason, you know, external, you know, your own limitations, whatever, uh, it's very easy to forget what your goals are. You know, it's, it's, you know, I tell people all the time that, um, you know, there are a lot of judgments around why people are poor and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, I, I say that it is not surprising that someone who believes that they will never get their goal. They'll never be able to buy the home that they want or never be able to put their kids through college or never be able to do those things. It's very easy to say, you know what, I'm going to drive through McDonald's and we're going to buy a little bit of happiness. Yeah. You know, we're just, we're going to have a little bit of happy today. I want to see my kids smile. So I'm going to put these hundred dollar Nikes on my child so that my child doesn't have to feel as poor as I do. And so we, we make a whole lot of assumptions about people and what drives them. Um, and what I think uh, uh, we need more of is to, to have fewer assumptions uh, and more listening, you know, knowing how to uh, be with people in their discomfort 
Um, it is very, there's a very high cost to being poor in this country. Um, if you don't have a bank account, you, you know, end up using cash checker, uh, check cashers and payday lenders and, and, you know, really predatory financial products and services. Um, if you don't have an emergency fund, um, and you're one, one, you know, flat tire away from an emergency, you know, you run the risk of not being able to get to work, uh, or going into debt to get to work. Um, you know, there's just so many things that uh, people who are experiencing poverty um, uh, have to deal with, you know. And if they're on any kind of public benefits, if they if they have food stamps or SSI or, you know, things that are supposed to help them have a safety net and they save, uh, I think right now the asset limits are 2250 so if you can imagine being a family of four but if you save more than $2,250 you lose your food stamps uh would $2,000 have you feeling secure enough to give up food stamps not at all yeah Yeah, exactly so so they have what's called an asset means test and those asset means tests keep people in poverty because if I'm trying to help them save to stabilize themselves, as soon as they hit that threshold, they lose the very things that help them stay stable. And so those are the, the really the biggest challenges because then people have to either lie to me uh, or run the risk of getting, uh, uh, you know, getting the stability they seek because they'll lose their benefits. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's, you know, it truly is a catch-22. You know, um, and so my job is to help them navigate uh, these very tenuous situations uh, that if they, you know, if they're on a pathway to saving, if they are finally able to open a bank account and finally able to save, you know, a portion of what sometimes is a very decent sized tax return, are they in a position where they can afford to give up those benefits? So it just so much goes into being able to help people navigate systems that are quite frankly designed to, uh, to crush them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's called a safety net, but, but the fact is what, you know, think about it. You know, if you look at the, the gift tax exclusion for wealthy people, how much can they transfer now without any consequence? Right. What is it? Like 15,000? 15, 15 yeah. now? 15 now? Yeah. But you know, some poor people can save too. Yeah. You know, my, my contention is, all right, let's make the uh, asset means test if we're going to have one. And I don't, I understand why we have them. You don't want to be using public benefits for people who are wealthy. I get that. But at least make it match the gift tax exclusion. You know, then that way, People can actually build enough of a buffer. They can build that three to six month worth of emergency fund. So, you know, if they lose their job, they're not back on welfare. They're not back in public benefits, right? And, and so I'm saying if we're going to have a system that, you know, uh, is to help people out of poverty, let's make sure it's really helping. And then make sure that there's those of us who care about this that really can, can help people be wiser with their choices so that they have a pathway. And I really do believe that financial planning is a pathway, um, you know, but the, you've got to not only have um, access, you have to have assets, <laughs> you know? So, so how do you help people do that? You know? And, and I do believe that it is possible. I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, I, it, look, if I were not seeing a change in uh, uh people being able to do this, I wouldn't be doing this for, what am I going on? Uh, uh, how many years? 12 years now? I wouldn't keep beating my head against that wall if I didn't see that it was possible. And, you know, I, I see kids who, because of what we did, they're, they're off in college now. I see parents buying homes who, you know, were, were re- priced out of the rental market. You know, I, I, I see magical things happen uh, when people are able to connect their drive with the support of someone who cares and someone who is knowledgeable. Um, uh, and to me, that's what financial planning is all about, right? We financial planners uh, bring something, you know, that just no other profession does, you know, uh, 
what we do. You know, and I, I don't really consider myself a financial planner at this stage. I strictly do coaching. Um, and I would not be doing financial planning without a CFP, frankly. Um, and this is the path I've chosen. So, um, you know, for me, I do everything from financial education uh, to financial coaching. And then I refer when there's uh, a need for planning and or financial therapy. So I'm a firm believer in that continuum, you know, uh, financial education, financial counseling, coaching, planning, and therapy. Um, I believe that is the continuum. That's the one that I uh, support. And, you know, uh, I do what I do. I stay in my lane. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when someone needs a referral for investments, and, and many people who come up through my ranks, clients who you know, come up through the point where I'm one person right here at Treasure Island, you know, they went through their programs, was homeless, went through some of their programs, uh, and is now, you know, making 10 K a month, you know, so now they need a financial planner. Um, you know, so, so I'm really proud of that work, you know, um, and I'm proud to know so many financial planners who meet me there. You know, they will do a short-term engagement to get people started. They will do a, a package that is accessible and affordable for people. Um, and uh, I, I'm really grateful for that. You know, I've got several planners around the country who I can turn to when I've got clients who are ready for them. You know, so I kind of view financial coaches as getting the clients ready uh, for planning and uh, financial coaching as a skill set um, for financial planners who really want to fine tune their client communication and really want to fine tune their skill sets around helping clients actually implement their plans. Did I answer your question at all? (laughs) You just, you just, (laughs) I have more questions now. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. So I'm like, I don't even remember what the question, no. (laughs) Um, So I, I know I've just had too many conversations with, with planners, especially newer planners who they just say, you know, I got into this because I want to help people and I want to help people mm-hmm. like back at home, you know, where, where, mm-hmm. where it really mm-hmm. is this, I want to help people who are like me, like my family, mm-hmm. um, not mm-hmm. just, you know, million dollar plus or, you know, whatever that would mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to them? Uh, the first piece I would say is try to avoid treating it as either or. Mm. Um, you really can do both your expectations of yourself have to be in alignment with what your needs are and um, if you can carve out uh, a niche for yourself that it is kind of like what I did, you know, um, uh, sure, you know, go all in. If you have to do both, don't abuse yourself about it. Be gentle with yourself, particularly if you're a new, new planner. Everybody told me I was never going to make a living doing this. They were wrong. They were wrong. Don't let anyone else tell you what you have to do to make a living. You get to decide and you might have to make some sacrifices. You might have to uh, go someplace with your professional skills that you didn't know you had to go. Um, but decide what you want to do for the people who are like you and build your skill set for them. Build the connections with the local community based organizations that you can have good, solid referrals when they need more help than you can offer. Be realistic about what you can offer. Um, You will not change someone else's behavior. And I'll tell you what Tim Coaches told me. Um, It is not easy to turn need into demand. Because we look at our families and we look at our communities and we say, wow, everybody needs this. And then we do a class or we do something that we're all excited about and two people show up. And it's like, wait, you know, everybody, when I'm talking to them, they say, oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. But you know what? Change can be challenging for people. So you got to meet them where they are. 
They may not be ready. That's not about you. So that's not about you saying, okay, well, I'm never doing that again. That's about, okay, what else? What else can I do to be there with my people as they tra travail, uh, traverse this, this very bumpy road, right? Um, so decide what you're willing and able to do and then do that thing. It might be pro bono. It might be low cost. Um, you know, there are many, many ways to do it, but don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. That's a personal decision. Now, if you decide not to, that's a personal decision. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, I don't begrudge people who choose to work with high net worth clients. That's, you know, that's fine. It's just not what I chose. Um, and um, there's value uh, on both sides. You know, so how do you do what makes your soul sing? You know, how do you do the work that makes your soul sing? And not out of guilt or obligation or any of those things, but out of knowing that what you bring to your community has the power to turn things around in ways that truly nothing else can. Not even the lottery, right? What you can do as a financial planner in communities that are struggling is deeper and broader than what anybody else can do. And so you have to take good care of yourself because you're an asset. And so you have to bring that part of yourself and be mindful to not burn out. So when you ask about is the nonprofit sector the way, maybe, maybe, but you just want to make sure that you don't burn yourself out because you're an asset and you're offering your strengths and your commitment to them in a way that lifts you up and brings them with you. You know, the other piece we talked about was coaching. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you aren't, let me say, called to working with the working poor or you aren't making that decision to work with the working poor, but you want to be better, a better financial planner uh, by becoming being better at coaching, where do you go or what would be your advice mm -hmm. to, to that person mm -hmm. who's listening? Yeah. So there's a couple things. Um, uh, there's a coaching class at Golden Gate, which I'm very, very proud of. Um, uh, my students have given amazing feedback about what it has meant for them. I'm not very good at getting that posted, but I'll work on that. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I need a social media guru. Um, so, so there are classes you can take, but here's the thing, reading about it is nice, but it's coaching is better experienced than talked about. So either work with a coach where you're having someone coach you. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, a, a new thing that I'm doing now with, you know, executive coaching for financial planners. And it's for that very reason. They don't, you know, they, they've already got their CFP. They maybe already have their master's. They don't necessarily want to take a class. And so I, I do that. And then there's also the financial fitness coach as a certification. Now, if you don't need another certification, you can take it as professional development. Um, and so we've got a lot of CFPs that do it that way. Some of them go on and get the certification. Others of them, you know, take this, take the training. Um, the training is a practical approach. You know, you, you have to do the work. Uh, you don't, you don't get the badge. You don't get the, the certificate, uh, the certification without doing the work. And so you actually do practice. Um, and, and that's really what made me, um, how I am as a coach, you know, uh, um, it, reading about it is great, <laughs> but, but doing it is different and being able to truly dance in the moment, um, uh, is not something that you can read about and do. It's something that you have to practice. So there are many ways to do it. Uh, there are a lot of coaching programs. The reason that I built what I built was that, uh, life coaching classes are, um, not, quite rigorous enough, in my view, um, for financial topics. Um, uh, I, I, I like what they do. It's, it's nice. It's, it's very feel good. And I'm kind of a San Francisco hippie. You might've picked up on that, but I don't think it, it holds the level of rigor that I think is necessary for financial planning. Um, you know, for financial planners who want to bring coaching, I think it's a different skill set. 
Uh, and then there, you know, there are some things like motivational interviewing is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think Ted and Brad Klontz have the financial behavior specialist. That's learning about it, um, but not the actual practice. Um, you know, so so there are many ways to learn how to bring these kinds of skills. Rick Kaler does some work in this area as well. Um, so, you know, there, there are many ways to learn about it, um, but there are fewer ways to actually practice it. And I would say that, you know, quite frankly, that's the reason I built what I built. That's so good. And what is the name of your program again? Yes. Yeah, so I, I do my program in partnership with the AFCPE. Um, and the program is called Financial Fitness Coach, uh, or FFC is the actual certification. And it is a certification, not a certificate. So there is ongoing professional development um, and uh, uh, demonstration of the skills. So it's not just you know taking a class and getting the thing. You actually have to demonstrate the skills. Um, so there's Financial Fitness Coach. There's Accredited Personal Finance Coach which is uh, a higher level. It's a, a deeper dive into coaching skills. Um, for most financial planners, to be honest, doing the um, uh, financial fitness coach work, whether they choose to do the cert certification or not, usually is very helpful. And then they can decide whether or not they want to go all the way. You know, Many people just take module one, which is um, the coaching essentials. They take module one, decide whether or not uh, it's something that they want to go further in. Um, coaching has nothing to do with income. You know, uh, coaching skills uh, can be used at any in any aspect of your practice. Uh, the places that I find it most relevant are in discovery, um, implementation, and accountability uh, for financial planners. If you are going to advise, it also helps you give advice in a way that. Um, is more accessible for the client. Uh, so it doesn't take away your role as uh, the expert. It expands your ability to hold the client as the expert in their lives with you being the expert in financial planning and putting those two things together uh, for the client's highest and best. Any final thoughts, Sandra, as we wrap up? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I have to say, um, I have... Uh, uh, really been uh, impressed with what I'm seeing with this next generation of planners coming through the work that, you know, uh, XY is doing and, you know, next gen was new when I first joined. And I, I'm so impressed with uh, this generation of planners, whether it's not an age thing, it's a, you know, uh, coming into the field thing and, and the, the rigor and the standards that you're holding yourselves to and, and the desire to, uh, uh, help people of, of all financial um, uh, situations is just really inspiring and um, uh, gives me a lot of hope, you know. Uh, and so I just want to, you know, want to thank you for doing this and making sure that you're giving people a way to find their way. Um, I remember uh, I'm just glad I was as old as I was when I came into the profession because I didn't let people tell me, oh, you can't do it. And if people don't get anything else from listening to me, what I hope you get is that you get to do it the way you want to. And don't let anyone tell you you can't. You might have to fix it yourself. You might have to make it yourself. You might have to build it yourself. And if you do, just make sure that it's what you want. Make sure that every decision you make broadens rather than minimizes your options. So whether it's getting that degree, I mean, I it drives me nuts to see people say, oh, well, don't take out student loans, don't do this. You know what? Do what you have to do to get what you want. I took out student loans at 44 years old to create the life that I want, and I'm still paying them. You know what? I am not upset about paying those loans, not one bit. I have the life I want. And I would have not done that had I listened to what other people said that I should or should not be doing. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. And we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. 
Find out more at tvainstitutional.com. If you like this episode, you can find more at fpaactivate.org and be sure to join the FPA Activate community on Facebook. It's a growing study group for financial planning professionals, from students to firm owners, professors, and board members. You'll find them all there where you too can lend your voice. We hope you'll join us and help grow the financial planning profession. Thanks for listening.